0: Galatians 1.10 through 2.14 For am I now seeking the approval of man, or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to Cephas and remained with him 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, "'He who used to persecute us "'is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, "'and they glorified God because of me. "'Then after 14 years, I went up again "'to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. "'I went up because of a revelation and set before them, "'though privately before those who seemed influential, "'the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, "'in order to make sure I was not running "'or had not run in vain. "'But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, and who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me, God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews?
1: Well, good morning and welcome to the weekly gathering of Christ Community Chapel. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm so glad you're here with us this weekend, whether you're here in the West Service or over in our East Service or watching online. Thanks for spending some time with us. Hey, I wanted to let you know, give you an update before we look at this passage in Galatians about our Thursday night service. So two weeks ago, we began having service on Thursday night. We had in mind in particular people that are not able to make it on the weekend, wanting to have, uh, offer them an opportunity to hear about God's love for them in a time and space that works for them, and I'm happy to say two weeks in that it's going really, really well. Uh, Over 200 adults are coming, 50 to 60 kids, both weeks. Very excited about a new group of people that are in and around our church and are hearing about Jesus. So thank you so much for uh, praying for that, supporting that, helping us get the word out. And please continue to do that. Continue to share uh, the news of that Thursday night service with people that you think might be in a position to better attend that service. We're excited to see uh, what God does with that service here at Christ Community Chapel. I'm also excited to continue our sermon series looking at the book of Galatians. So we're spending 10 weeks in the fall looking at every verse of the book of Galatians together. In fact, if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to take it out and open it to Galatians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at the latter half of that chapter and the beginning of chapter 2. By the way, if you're here and you're new or maybe don't have a lot of background with the Bible and don't know how to get to Galatians... I do want you to know that in the pews in front of you, here in the west service, or in the back of the room, over there in east service, uh, are these Bibles. And I actually preach from the same Bible we make available to you, so that I can tell you that today's reading is on page 913. So if you want to read along with us, all you have to do is get to page 913, and you'll be there. Uh, by the way, if you are here and you don't have a lot of familiarity with the Bible, I'm so glad that you're here. Probably. Took a little bit of courage for you to show up this weekend. I'm glad that you did. And I want you to know that, that every Bible has in the very front a table of contents. So when we at any program, event, Bible study service that we have, which by the way, you're welcome at all of those. If we have a reference a book of the Bible, we forget to tell you a page number. All you have to do is go to the beginning of the book, find the table of contents, find the name of that, that book of the Bible, and that will help you get there. Thanks so much for being here this weekend. I hope that you are blessed by the service. So if you've found your way to Galatians chapter 1, end of chapter 1, beginning of chapter 2, let me hold out to you an outline that I'm going to use to guide our time together. As we continue to think about these ideas that Pastor Joe introduced so well last week, this idea of God's grace being something that we get for nothing, that God has something great for us that we get for nothing. Three points, very simple, they're going to go like this. I want to talk about what makes Christianity so compelling. Where does that come from? And how do you know if you've found it? What makes Christianity so compelling? Where does that come from? And how do you know if you have found it? Well, let's start with the first one What makes Christianity so compelling? Uh, Let me offer a little bit of background here for you that I think is helpful, if you know it, helpful to understand the verses that we just heard so wonderfully read. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to a group of churches in a region called Galatia. It's a region that he at one time had visited and had taught in, and in fact, had helped many of these churches get started. But since Paul has left, a new group of religious teachers Have come in. They call themselves the Judaizers. And they are seeking to undo the ministry that Paul has done. Their their primary goal is to come behind Paul, and where Paul had been telling people that all that was necessary for a relationship with God was faith in Jesus Christ, the Judaizers were coming by and saying, Well, that's sort of true. I mean, you you need to have faith in Jesus, but you also need to obey the Jewish law found in the Old Testament. In essence, what they were saying to people is that you need to add to your faith in Jesus faith in Judaism. That's why they were called the Judaizers. If Pastor Joe told us that grace is getting something for nothing, the Judaizers' message is you get something for something. That there are things that you need to do to be loved and accepted by God. And Paul is writing this letter to these churches to refute that, to to argue against that, to, to legitimize the gospel message that he was teaching. So it's that background with which he's writing here at the end of chapter one and beginning of chapter two where he has in mind defending himself and defending what he's been teaching. And what's interesting is that the argument he uses to legitimize the message he's teaching is the change of his own life. The argument he's going to use is the effect that what he believes and what he is teaching has had on his own life. His evidence, his proof of the power of his message is in his changed life. Uh, Let me give you an analogy that I think will help this make sense. Two weeks ago, I went to the Browns-Bengals game. You remember, that's when we believed still this season. (laughs) It was a great week. It was a great week. And uh, I went with a friend in our seats We're high up in kind of the nosebleed section, which ended up being perfect. We were so high up that we actually were covered From the rain. Uh, They have to build, uh, you know, you get the top of the stadium, they have to build support structures for the speakers and things like that. And we were kind of nestled underneath there. So during the game, I had no idea how hard it was raining. It was one of those kind of invisible rains where it's coming down, but you can't really tell. I mean, I had watched our offense play and I hoped it was raining really hard. But, but I couldn't tell. It wasn't until I got out of my seat and went to the bathroom at halftime and noticed that everyone in line with me to use the restroom was soaked. I mean, they, they, were, they, were so, they were so wet that you could have taken their clothes and just kind of wrung them out. And they looked miserable. I felt guilty for being so dry. You see, in that situation, I couldn't see the rain, but I could see its effect. I couldn't see the rain coming down, but I could see the consequence of the rain. The, the effect of the rain was that everyone around me was wet. That is what Paul is saying. He's saying, hey, if you wonder about the legitimacy of what I'm teaching, look at the effect it's having on me, If you can't see the rain, at least see how wet I am, Paul is saying. And in fact, he gives us three things that have changed in his life, and I want you to see them. You can look in the passage as I talk about them. The first is, Paul says, if you know anything about my former life, he says, three things were true of me. Number one, my, my belief in Judaism was the very core of my being. Paul says, I wasn't just ethnically Jewish or nominally religiously Jewish. I was was an up-and-comer in Judaism. I had made that my identity. That was who I was. I wasn't just... Jewish. I was an up-and-comer. I, I was beyond anyone in my generation. I was the one that everyone around me was looking at to become the next leader, to become the next face, to become the next spokesperson. I was committed to my faith in Judaism. The second thing he says is, because of that, I hated anyone who wasn't practicing Judaism. I was so committed to it, I was so sure of it, that anyone who was outside of my tradition was actually my enemy. And as a consequence, he says, I actually became violent. That's the third thing he says, my my faith in Judaism and my hatred of non-Jewish people or of Jewish people practicing Judaism the wrong way actually led me to become violent. In our day, we would say that Paul was a fundamentalist, an extremist, even perhaps a terrorist. If your definition of terrorist is that under the guise of religious principle, he was committing violence. Paul says, that's who I was a committed religious terrorist who hated anyone and everything outside of my ethnic group, outside of my religious tradition, outside of the right way, according to me, of practicing my religious tradition. He says, but, but, that's who I was. But, because of what I've come to believe, because of the message that I've been teaching you, he says, it's not who I am. In fact, Paul will say, I, I've actually come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the fulfillment of my Jewish faith that all the Old Testament that I had been reading that had been getting me ready for the Messiah was actually pointing to Jesus and that my belief in that is so strong that I actually don't even consider myself a proponent of Judaism anymore. And what I found in Jesus, Paul will say, is that Jesus is the means by which God is accepting people. That actually it isn't about keeping the rules. It isn't about keeping the traditions or the rituals. It's actually faith that Jesus has lived a sinless life in my place, died sacrificially on the cross, and risen from the dead so that my hope is not in my religious doing, but in his performance on my behalf. And Paul will say, if that's true then, then that means that everyone can be accepted by God not just Jewish people and not just adherents of Judaism. In fact, Paul becomes so committed of that, to that that he actually doesn't just become a Christian. He doesn't actually just become a pastor and a missionary. He actually becomes a pastor and missionary to non-Jewish people. And there are a couple of indicators that his heart has completely changed towards these people. One is that when he goes to Jerusalem to visit the Jewish church leaders, he brings with him Titus. And that is like a former Ku Klux Klan member bringing his new friend, who's a person of color. Paul is bringing with him a non-Jewish person because he is concerned that their interests would be represented. He's so concerned that he actually throws down with Peter. That's the very end of the passage because Peter is mistreating the non-Jewish Christians and Paul won't stand for it. Paul has gone from a terrorist who hates non-Jewish people to a missionary who advocates for their legitimacy and their value. Paul says, if you wonder whether or not my message is real, if you wonder whether or not it's powerful, look at what it's done to me. And the reason why he stakes his claim there is because that's exactly what makes Christianity so compelling. Christianity is not fundamentally about a set of intellectual propositions. It's about the effect that it has on people changing them, changing their relationship with God, changing their self-understanding, changing the way they see other people. I was talking about this this week with Pastor Joe, and he was telling me that one of his favorite lines or stories that his father, Pastor Roland, uh, would tell is that he once heard a man give a talk. And at the end of the talk, someone asked a question, and they asked the man giving the talk, Do you really believe that Jesus turned water into wine? And the man thought for a minute, and he said, Well, I don't know about that, but I can tell you in my house, he turned beer into furniture. What's he saying? My life was changed. I experienced this once. I was preaching in my 20s in a medium security prison, which I have to admit was a, an experience I was terrified to have. I, I didn't really know what to expect. And if you've ever uh, visited or spoken or done any kind of ministry in a prison, when you go in, you know, they lock the doors behind you. It's a jarring experience. I was really nervous about it until I got to the particular Bible study I was speaking at and the men there were incredible. They were kind, they were generous, they were warm. They probably knew I was nervous and scared. They made me feel very comfortable. In particular, one man who led the Bible study was an older gentleman. He was kind and one of the kindest, most friendliest guys I'd ever met. Really made me feel at home. Well, after two hours flew by, they all had to go to whatever was next for them. And I was hanging around with the chaplain helping clean up, and he was going to escort me to the entrance. And I couldn't help myself. I said to him, Hey, the leader of the Bible study, what a wonderful guy. What did he do? And the chaplain said, When he was a young man, he murdered his parents. That's what makes Christianity so compelling. It's this idea that it has the power to actually change people. It has the power to change our own understanding of ourselves. It has the power to change the way we view other people, to turn enemies into friends, to turn the other into us. It has the ability to change us at our very core. And the reason why that's so compelling is because most of us, if we're honest, would say change is exactly what we're looking for. Maybe even what brings us here this weekend is a desire to change, to change how we connect to God, to change how we understand ourselves, to change our futures, to change our past, to change our relationships. We're hoping for something that will bring about change. And Paul says, look, if you want to know that what I'm saying is true, look at what it's done to me. You may not see the rain, he says, but you can see The effect it's having on me. That begs the question, if what makes Christianity compelling is it can change us, well, where do we go to get that change? That's actually my second point. Where does that change come from? And I want you to see in the story of Paul, that change comes from meeting Jesus. It comes from an experience of Jesus, an encounter with Jesus. Paul will say, I was perfectly fine being an up-and-comer in Judaism. I was content with being a violent person. I was content with being a terrorist. I wasn't in the market for any kind of change of ideology or of worldview. I was fine. Here's who I was. Here's what I was doing. And then I met Jesus. You can read about it in Acts chapter 9, by the way, when Paul, who at the time went by the name Saul, is headed to Damascus to carry out more terroristic activities when he literally has an encounter with the resurrected Jesus Christ. And Paul will say, that was the epicenter of my move. I want you to understand something. Christianity has the power to change people because it begins with an actual experience of meeting God in Jesus Christ. Pastor Joe and I work very hard to show you how intellectually compelling Christianity is, to show you the inherent logic of it, how it speaks directly into the deepest questions of our hearts and our minds. And I hope that's helpful But I also hope you never get the impression that what makes someone a Christian is fundamentally our ability to argue you in. Christians are people who have met God through Jesus Christ. People who have had an encounter with God Christianity begins with God it does not begin with a sermon it does not begin with a podcast it does not begin with a story it begins with the person and work of Jesus Christ Paul has an encounter with Jesus but but It isn't just that encounter, it's what he discovers in Jesus that changes his life. Look with me at verse 10. I think it's one of the most self-reflective things Paul says in the entire New Testament. It's a fascinating thing that he says. He says this in verse 10 of chapter 1. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? Listen to what he says next. If I were still trying to please man. Do you see that? If I were still trying to please man. What's he saying? There was a time in his life where he was trying to please man. What do you mean? He was religious. Nobody likes religious people. So how was he people pleasing? Here's what Paul's saying. I thought... Everything I was doing was leading me to God. I thought the religious apparatus that I had bought into was about connecting me to God. But then I met God and realized he didn't have anything to do with it. Let me give you an analogy. My wife Amy is an amazing woman. She's an awesome wife. But even Superman had kryptonite. And early on in our marriage, Amy's kryptonite was giving me directions when I drove. This is before GPS. This is even before MapQuest. You remember MapQuest where you had to print them out and then hope nothing had changed? Because <laughs> if it had, you were, that was worthless. Right. And the reason why my wife wasn't helpful is because she had irrational confidence. And what I mean by that is, say we were going to a party at someone's house. I would get in the car and go, how do we get there? She'd go back out of the driveway, take a right. So I'd go right. Then she'd say, hey, see the RBs up there? Take a left. Third stop sign, take a right. Eventually, I would start to wonder if, in fact, we were going to get to the party. And I would say to her, do you know where you're going? And she would say, no. (laughs) I would say, well, why did you tell me? She said, you asked. I can't think of a better metaphor for religion. Because religion is a bunch of people telling you how to get somewhere they've never actually been. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, all my religious doing, he said, I did everything they told me to do, I did it twice. I did it better than anyone. I bought in. Even when they told me to be violent, I did it. Even when they told me to hate, I did it. I bought into everything they were selling. He said, and then I met God and realized he didn't have anything to do with what they had been selling me. I'd been listening to people with irrational confidence in their knowledge of God. Listen, do you wonder why your religious background and your religious experience have left you wanting? It's because people are telling you their own ideas of how to get to God. In the end, Paul says, any religion that doesn't come straight from God is nothing more than people-pleasing, which is why everyone around you can say you're the perfect example of their religious expression, and yet deep down you know you haven't met God at all. And Paul says, all I was in the end was a people pleaser, but then I met God. He says, then I met God, and then God himself could tell me what pleased him. And if you read the writing of Paul, he'll tell you that that thing, that thing that God wanted was for for Paul to realize that he couldn't please God at all that God wasn't impressed by religious ritual. He wasn't impressed by people pleasing. He wasn't impressed by rule keeping. God said, Paul, here's what I want you to understand. I sent my own son, Jesus, to live a life of pleasing me in your place, to go to the cross and die a sacrificial death for all the ways you did not please me and obey me and trust me and to come up under the weight of my judgment for you and to die under that judgment and then to rise three days later, ascend into heaven, sit at my right hand so that when you asked him, he would say, you are welcome here because he has pleased me in your place. And Paul says, once I began to hear that, I realized that if, that if my religious wrongness didn't keep God from loving me, if my religious wrongness didn't exclude me, well, then neither did it theirs. And the very people that I had hated became my mission field. Friends, I, I want to give my life to convincing you to trust God. But Christianity... Christians are made by an actual encounter with God, not through sermons. Christians are people who have met God, not who sing songs, read books, listen to podcasts, etc., etc. We begin with meeting God. We must have an encounter with God. But that begs the question then well, how do you know if you've had that? How do you know? How do you know when you've had that encounter with God? That's my third point, actually. I mean, because most of us are not going to have a story like Paul's, right? We're not going to be walking to Damascus and then, or in our case, driving to Akron or driving to Cleveland, and all of a sudden the heavens are going to part and Jesus is going to drop down and we're going to go, oh... For most of us, that's not going to be true. So, so how can we learn from Paul? Well, I want you to see something. Paul gives us a formula. Yes, he has an experience of Jesus, but it is not experience alone that makes him a, a Christian. Instead, it's experience plus truth. Look at what he says when he tells a story. Verse 16, when God was pleased to reveal his son to me, That's experience, right? When God was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. He begins the next verse by saying, then after three years I went up. Paul has this experience of Jesus, and then he spends three years in the desert trying to figure out the truth of Jesus. He had to disentangle himself from the Judaism he grew up with. He had to connect it to Jesus. He had to understand what this experience that he had. How did it connect with the reality of what God had done in Jesus? He didn't just need experience. He needed experience and truth. Maybe the best analogy I can give you for this is that this is exactly the formula that you have when you fall in love with someone. If you've ever fallen in love, you know that there's part experience and part truth. But when you hear two couples tell their stories, they're not, they're not the same ratio of experience to truth. Some stories are a little heavy on the experience. Some stories are a little heavy on the truth. I can use my wife and I as an example. I still remember the day I met Amy. It was in the admissions office of our college. She was coming down the stairs, hair bouncing, hair bouncing smile on her face, glowing. All I remember hearing was, ah. <laughs> and I knew. I mean, I, I knew. I actually said to the person I was talking to, the admissions counselor, I was said, when, when I come here, I was not yet a student. So when I come here, that's the girl I'm going to date. I knew right away that Amy was the woman I was going to marry. My story of falling in love is nine parts experience, one part truth. Because when I walked out of that admissions office, if I would have told you I was in love, and you would have said, well, tell me about her. And I would have said, I can't. I can't, I didn't know much about her. I knew enough, but I didn't know much. So the rest of my time with her was catching up on truth. I, I was big on experience, nine points experience, one point truth. Amy did not have that story. <laughs> I know, you find that shocking, don't you? Yeah, <laughs> I do, right? Now, she would say when she met me, she was underwhelmed. <laughs> but as she got to know me, she fell in love with what she came to know. See, her story is like two parts experience, eight parts truth. Truth. This is a very common thing. You have one couple that says it was love at first sight. You have another couple that says, we were friends for a long time and we just never thought of each other that way and then one day it clicked. All they're saying is more experience, less truth. More truth, less experience. Either way, it's falling in love. Paul says, when I met Jesus, big experience, I still needed truth. There are others here who will tell you their story of coming to faith in Jesus was nine parts truth and one part experience. They grew up in the church their entire lives. They knew all the songs. They heard all the things. They knew the truth, but it never really grabbed them. And then one day it did. Here's what I'm saying. It really doesn't matter if your story is six parts experience, four parts truth, four parts experience, six parts truth. What matters is, do you love Jesus? Have you met Jesus, you see, if all we are is experience with no truth, that is, a, that is enthusiasm for a day that will dissipate. If all we have is truth but no actual experience, we're just one more dead religion. What we're after is both, not in the same way because you're not the same person as me and vice versa. We don't have the same story, but all of us, when we meet Jesus, we'll see our experience and our truth coming together to lead us to see and love Jesus, has that happened for you? I love one of my favorite things we do here is baptism class. People will come to baptism class and they're like, I don't know if I'm a Christian. I might be. Can I talk to someone? And we'll sit down with them and they will articulate being in love with Jesus. They will articulate a moment where they weren't, and then a moment where they were. What are they saying? They're saying their story is more truth than experience. It just kind of slowly overwhelmed them. Then we get other people who come in who are like, man, you'll never believe what happened. I was in this moment. I was doing this thing. And all of a sudden, boom, that's experience. More experience than truth. Either way, it's in love with Jesus. Is that you? Paul says that is what ultimately will change you that is what ultimately will free you from the people-pleasing religion of your background. If you're here and you're already a Christian, let me show you something that I think you're going to find really encouraging by way of closing. You know, every, story, every couple, when they tell their story, will tell it in such a way that it feels like everything lined up just right. Right? You can say, you didn't really fall in love with Amy the moment you saw her. I say, well, we've been together for 22 years. So deal with it. I did. But I could also tell you how so many things had happened before I met her to lead me to the exact right moment of meeting her. Paul says that's exactly how it works with God. In fact, if you have your own Bible, or if you're going to steal this one, and you're comfortable writing in a Bible, and I hope you are. I hope you are. I hope you circle it and draw on it and all the things that make you remember how wonderful God is. But if you'll look with me at Galatians chapter 1, verse 15, I want to show you a verse that you should hold on to, that you should underline, circle, just grip tightly. This is what Paul says as he reflects on his own story of falling in love with Jesus. He says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. Did you see what he's saying? Everything in my entire life, he's saying, had been leading to that point. Everything I had ever done. Paul said, God let me run to the end of Judaism. He let me become an up and comer so that I would see that there was emptiness there that I didn't actually know him so that he would save me. Listen, friends, I don't care if your story is more experience, more truth, more truth, less experience. I don't care. Whatever it is, God himself from the beginning of time till now, wrote that story so that you would meet him in Jesus. So great is his love for you. Let me pray for us. Father God, I just feel like there are gotta be people here this weekend who are gonna be saying, okay, okay, I'm starting to buy into the truth. I need that experience. Pastor Zach said to ask And that God would show up. God, I just pray that for your glory, not for mine, for your glory, you would make good on that promise. That there'd be people here this weekend that would be pointing to this day. Say, this is the day when I had an encounter with Jesus. For those of us who look back on our stories, we're so grateful for the grace you showed us. For the way you wove in our stories in just the right way that in our time of need, we would reach for you. We're grateful for who you are and for what you've done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.